So Sherwell was my answer to the fact that I just had a really hard time finding virtual support groups. Hello, this is Al Levin, the creator and host of The Depression Files. If you enjoy the podcast and have found value in the show, please check out my Patreon page. There, you'll be able to support me financially with as little as a dollar a month. Your support will help me offset the cost of the podcast hosting site, maintain and update my equipment, and support the amount of time that it takes in order to produce the show. You can find my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thedepressionfiles. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash thedepressionfiles. In addition, it would help me out greatly if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. Thank you for considering to support me in these ways. And now, to the show. Welcome to The Depression Files, an interview format show in which you'll hear stories of men who have struggled with depression and or other mental illnesses. In addition, you'll hear deep dive conversations with guest experts on various topics related to mental health. Topics such as depression and other mental illnesses, medication, suicide awareness and prevention, our current mental health system, and of course, the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that both sharing stories and educating people are ways to chip away at the stigma. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. This is your host, Al Levin. I'm really excited. On the line today, we have Cece Chang. Cece is the founder of ShareWell, a mental health company that provides virtual peer support services. Cece, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Cece, I'm really uh, excited to have you on the show, particularly because, and I think a lot of listeners know this about me, but I am a huge believer in the power of support groups. So to have bumped into you, somebody who your entire work revolves around creating support groups for folks was, was really uh, impressive and exciting for me. I'm really glad to hear you say that. Thank you. Peer support is something that has personally been really powerful for me and it's been, it changed my life. And so working on it and being able to bring it to more people has been the most fulfilling work that, that I've been, I've, I've been able to do. Yeah, that is awesome. And, you know, so you mentioned that it was helpful for yourself and that's because you had some challenges and struggles of your own that led you to seeking out a support group. It sounds like, is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, a few years ago in the middle of the pandemic, I went through something really difficult. I was in a relationship that I've come to realize was emotionally abusive in many ways. And at the time, I actually had a therapist um, and a coach that I was working with. So really, I was I was pretty lucky, right? Um, I had I had some outside supports. I also had a group of good friends I could talk to and family that was supportive. But despite objectively being very lucky, I still didn't just didn't feel comfortable um, talking to my therapist or my friends about what was happening. I felt a lot of shame 
around it. And to be honest, I, you know, I, I'm still working through some of that shame. Yeah. And when I, yeah, so it, uh, it was only when I, I connected with a few friends at the very beginning, um, that had gone through something similar that I realized how helpful it was. And it was because of those conversations that I even thought about joining a support group. Right. You know, so a couple things that stood out to me. One is, I'm curious, you mentioned that you came to realize that it was an abusive relationship, verbally abusive. So, so that certainly makes it sound like you didn't even realize that it was an emotionally abusive relationship at the time that it was happening, but you came to realize it later on. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, you know, I think that's what made the experience uh, very confusing and and really uh, hard for me um, is that I spent uh, a lot of the relationship actually blaming myself for what was going on. Okay. Um, Almost like you deserved it? Yeah. Yeah, I felt like I deserved it. Um, and I... You know, I've I've always uh, struggled with anxiety, um, and I've gone through some bouts of depression, but nothing as severe as what I was experiencing through that relationship. Um, and it was almost a vicious cycle in that, you know, I couldn't tell what was what, what was, uh, you know, perhaps the relationship was so bad only because um, I was feeling so anxious or, or depressed. Um and then it was through actually my, my, my therapist was, was someone who really helped me start to realize that perhaps there was something else going on. Um, but it was very confusing for me for, for, for a long part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you explain, um, whether it was your situation or, or somebody else that you've met through support groups and such, because I'm not even exactly sure what it means to be emu emotionally abusive. I mean, I've certainly heard how horrible it can be, and I don't mean to discount it whatsoever. It's just something that I haven't personally experienced or dealt with. So is it mostly um, somebody who loves you and then just treats you awfully? Is that kind of a basic definition of emotionally abusive? Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked. It's a really great question because uh, it wasn't really, it wasn't a term that I had any experience with either. And what I've come to, um, identify as being emotionally abusive is really, you know, it, it's, it's, it's having the experience of being lied to manipulated and undermined with the, with the seeming intention of someone who, uh, who who says that they're doing this because they care about you. But it, a lot of it has to do with an effort to control um, you, to control the relationship. And it generally involves um, a lot of a lot of gaslighting. Okay. Um, and by you gaslighting, know, you know, a simple ex Yeah, go ahead. Can you give an example? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, you know, a simple example um, would be, you know, uh, and I'm not saying this happened in my relationship, but certainly this was, you know, this is this would be a very simple example would be someone saying, you know, I hit you because I love you. Right. Right. And and those are kind of the feelings that I think 
and I, and I don't want to generalize and say it's only women either, but a lot of times you hear women say like, but I love him and he loves me and I can't leave him. Um, and I would imagine it's those types of comments that keep women stuck sometimes you hear about in these abusive relationships. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's really, it's, it's really interesting having, you know, been a part of so many support groups and hosted many of them of my own. Um, I've spoken to, gosh, at this point, probably hundreds of women and men who have been through similar relationships. And what's interesting to me is that a lot of them use the, the same words to describe the relationship. And if you talk to enough people, you'll start to recognize patterns. There's, you know, there's a term called love bombing, which means uh, usually at the beginning of these relationships, uh, there, you know, the, there's a lot of, uh, lot of promises. Um, there's a lot of effort to make that other person feel extremely secure and loved and then there's another pattern that follows that, which is um, devaluing, uh, where then the other person is made to feel that they are, you know, useless, wrong, um, that they are that they are the reason that the relationship is is falling apart. Um, and then following that is often uh, what they call a discard, where then you are generally um, left very confused, um, either broken up with or left in a different way. But then, but then, you know, always, always that, that same person will come back and try to revive the relationship. It's this really common pattern. That's very interesting to, to observe and to hear about. It's what happened in my relationship. And I've just heard dozens of stories that are incredibly similar. Right. So this may be a very ignorant question, but it's I, I it, the first thing one of the first things that popped up into my mind is, wow, I wonder what types of mental illness the abusers may be struggling with. And that's not to give real any empathy or sympathy to those abusers. But I'm like, how can one turn into doing that? It seems more than just kind of a mean person almost. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, it, there's, um, you know, my, my therapist recommended that um, I, I read up about what's called cluster B personality types, sociopaths, psychopaths, um, uh, wow. narcissists, um, and a few other types fall under that, that category. Right. And perhaps those words are overused today. I, I definitely know I hear narcissists thrown around quite a lot, but you know, at, at kind of one, one thing that's similar is that a lot of these personality um, disorders or personality types have very low empathy, or or perhaps you know very low to maybe maybe almost no no empathy. And so you know, one of the reasons why there's uh, it seems like there's so much lying and and the lying is so convincing is that there's there's not much. Uh, attachment to reality when the lie is being being told right. and there's there's just very there, a lot of times there's just very little care for what what you know what the other person might be feeling in that situation um, as long as it helps that person get to the goal that they want which right. often the relationship again is is so much generally I find it's, it, it was so much about control thinking about my own relationship 
for example, um, he would frequently relay to me that uh, my friends had said something uh, quite mean or negative about me. And at first, you know, for a long time, really, I, I just believed him and felt really sad that people I thought really cared about me would, would say these horrible things. And it wasn't until after we had broken up that I gained the courage to ask one of my friends if they had said that. Um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's an awkward thing to ask, right? For sure. <laughs> hey, yeah. um, did you mention to my ex that you thought this about me? And that person said no. And of course, you know, maybe, maybe my friend was lying. That's a complete possibility. So I, I followed up on a few, with a few other people and they all were very shocked and shocked that, you know, like that, that, uh, something that, you know, they, they were like, they really thought about if they could have said anything that could have misinterpreted. But after checking with, with three friends, I started to get the inkling that, uh, perhaps, you know, those stories were fabricated to, um, you know, make me feel less confident about myself. And right. I think emotional abuse is hard to explain because, you know, in some ways it reminds me of uh, how people experience uh, sexism or perhaps, you know, or, or racism or, or or anything like that because it, it, it tends to be a lot of small things that add up. Right. Um, sometimes it's a very big thing, right? Sometimes it's a very, very big thing. But a lot of times it's, it just happens continuously and it happens in a very covert way. Um, and it's hard to put your finger on until all of a sudden you realize that you don't, uh, for me, I, I realized that I was not completely sure of how I felt about the last six months. And by that, I mean, I had memories of things that I wasn't confident about because I would remember something had happened a certain way but then I would be convinced by my my ex partner that um, I was I was wrong. Right, like um, it didn't really happen that way. You're for, you're remembering incorrectly. Exactly, and it was you know sometimes it was it could be a very very small thing. It could be a very small thing, as small as you know he would tell me about how he had too much to drink at a party, and he would mention that it was this. He was taking tequila shots, and then later um, it would be that he had, um, you know, taken drugs or, or something else. It, it could be a very small thing, and and you know sometimes people obviously not everyone's memory is a hundred percent, but it went from you know from small things like that to to much bigger things, uh, much more obvious things, um, like us looking at a picture of him. Uh, looking at, at a picture of, of him with um, a woman that later I discovered that he was cheating on me with. And I had seen other photos of the same woman and I was looking at this photo and I was sure it was the same person <laughs> because, well, you know, she looked exactly the same. Right, right. But looking at that photo, he was very convincing that I was mistaken. <laughs> I was a different person. Right. So, and all those things like, you know, like in, in isolation, you know, it, it was, um, it didn't seem that harmful, but added up over time, I realized that I just didn't feel confident about any of my memories. Yeah. Well, and it, and it must be so, so difficult because this is a person you believe that you, either you love or you, or you care deeply about for sure. Right. And you're in this relationship that you're hoping works out. So you have all these feelings connected with him then 
questioning your memory and manipulating you, which, and that's the piece where I had to ask, like, I wonder what type of mental illness some abusers must be dealing with because like, it seems so much worse than just mean. I could never imagine like telling my wife or an ex-girlfriend like, oh, your friends are, you know, they're saying this about you and that about you. And, and I think you brought up a brilliant point. You acknowledged, yeah, maybe my friend lied to me and she really did say this about me. But when you go back and you check with others and there is clearly a pattern, then it's well worth, you know, doubting what, what this, your ex is saying to you. Yeah. It, um, and I think it goes back to when someone tells you that they're doing, when someone is, is clearly doing something very harmful to you, but telling you that they're doing it because they love you. You know, I think that there are, there are certainly things that I could have, you know, I, I think that if I, looking back, I wish that I was not in the place where I needed to validate myself so much by, you know, having someone who cared about me. And so I do feel that the, the more independent that I could have been from needing that, you know, love and care, the less susceptible I would have been to this type of emotional abuse. I say that, and yet it makes me really sad to say that because I think one of the saddest things about victims in this situation is it, it, it attacks a very fundamental thing for everyone, right? Which is the desire to be loved and cared for. Right. And it also makes the fact that you know, if you are an empathetic person and if you can forgive someone and if you can believe that people will change, well, in these situations, it just means that you are, you end up in these bad situations for much longer. When I talk to people in these support groups, what strikes me is so many of them have such, you know, beautiful compassion and deep empathy for people. And actually most of them and myself included, I would say we don't, there's no, there's no harboring of, of, of even hatred for, for that other person. Uh, you know, a lot of it is fundamentally, like we, I, I still hope that he, you know, is able to feel happier with himself so that he doesn't have to do these actions to right. make himself feel you know, a, a certain way. Um, so it really attacks things that really should be qualities, you know, in yourself that you should celebrate. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's basically weaponized against you. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's just awful. And, and I hear you saying like, I wish I could have been, I wish I essentially could have loved myself more and been in a better place to be able to understand what was happening. And, and I can understand that looking back in hindsight, as long as that doesn't cross the, the line of you then taking blame and ownership, which I know in the midst of it, I'm sure was part of it. Like you said, like, this is my fault. This is why this is happening. And that's part of being the victim in an abusive relationship that is very common. But I hope in hindsight that you're still able to say, yeah, I wish I was stronger, but that doesn't mean you deserved it or, or it was any of your fault that this abuse came your way. Yeah. I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'd say that I would be lying if I said that I was a hundred percent there. I think I, I do feel mostly there. Um, I, I don't, I don't blame myself for, for what happened. Just like I don't blame any, you know, any victims I've, I've spoken to, but when it applies to me personally, you know, it, it's still something hard to work on. And I think yeah. that's, that's what I mean when I say that there's still some lingering shame yeah. and, 
it really makes me feel for everyone else that's been in these situations because these relationships with, you know, they, they isolate you, you know, separating you from your friends and family is something that not just my ex did, but so many other, um, I've heard so many other stories where that's, that's the case because the more successful they are in doing that, the more you rely on them, of yeah, course. Absolutely. Um, I've heard, yeah, I read this, um, there's, there's the statistic out there that's horrifying, but that 99% of, uh, domestic abuse cases involve some sort of financial abuse or, um, you know, financial, large financial inequity. Right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I have met at least one or two men in the men's support groups that I go to where they have been in abusive relationships and they were the victim. And one, exactly like you're describing, like very quickly she got him away from his family so he no longer went to family events and things. And and she just became so abusive and so controlling. And it's really pretty interesting because the the men in our support group, which was not for necessarily for that, it was really a support group for men with depression and anxiety, so I think a lot of us trying to support him didn't necessarily have the experience he had. And so many of us clearly became frustrated and not with him, but in in the situation and him continuing to go back to her. And we just couldn't understand like she, what you're telling us, like she was so mean. But I think there are so many like hooks they put into you that you've described already that make it so hard to pull away and the, the feeling of being loved. Well, she loves me. And he would talk about how, how hurting she was and, and she needed him, but it is, it's pretty incredible. You know, one of the only reasons that I was able to put a lot of the pieces of my story together is actually because after we separated, I was in a very um, confused place. Uh, it wasn't until after we completely separated that I was able to start piecing things together. And that's only because I started speaking to uh, other women who had been with him. Okay. It's interesting how, how life works, but um, I reached out to the woman that he was with before me, who I had never met before. I only knew her name uh-huh. <laughs> and <laughs> it was one of the most, um, Oh my gosh. I was so nervous uh, to, to write her. Um, just on social media, I found her, but you know, she wrote me back uh, within two hours and we talked for five hours that night Wow! and she shared with me that, um, you know, my, the first thing I said was, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> um, I hope you don't think this is super strange. And she immediately told me not to worry because, uh, when she broke up with the same person, she did the same thing. Wow. She tried to talk to the woman that she knew he had been with before because she was in the same state of mind. And then together, her and I spoke to actually a few more women. And, um, you know, it's really interesting because so many patterns are the same. Um, not every relationship was, was different in its, in its own way, but the, the, emotional, the emotionally abusive patterns were very much very much the same. Um, and it was interesting. It was, you know, I was grateful because we were all able to help each other, um, essentially validate each other's experiences because some of these women had never been able to talk to, you know, someone else. And for years, uh, still thought that, you know, they were still blaming themselves essentially. Right. 
Wow. And, and do you feel like at the time that was a part of why you decided to reach out to a woman from his past just to see out of curiosity and validation? Like, is this to kind of validate, like, this isn't you, Cece, it's, it's him. Yes. When I reached out, I believe the words I used were, um, you know, we just separated and I'm not sure quite what's going on, but it doesn't feel like a normal breakup. It didn't feel like a normal relationship. And I didn't have the words for it, but definitely there was something telling me so many things weren't adding up, both in my memory um, and things he said and just every part of me, I was, oh my, I, I was so, um, I was so anxious. So, you know, I was have, I was basically anxious all the time by the time that we broke up. And, and then I, when I spoke to her, I realized, um, it went, it went deeper than I thought it did. Um, while we were together, I was aware that, you know, there, uh, I became aware that, that, um, he, there, there was cheating involved. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, before if you would ask me, oh, what would happen if you found out that your partner cheated on you? Um, I would say that, oh my gosh, I would be so hurt. It would be devastating. Um, and of course, you know, it, it still is, and that's still a big deal, but the cheating actually was the most straightforward part of the whole story, to be honest. Um, the other things that I discovered were, um, essentially fabrications in every part, in every major part, um, of, of, um, of his life. Um, you know, fabrications around work history, around um, where he had been, around uh, around um, real estate, um, around ev- essentially everything. Yeah. I told her my version of who I thought he was, and she was able to. They have been together for many, many years, and she was able to confirm. She, she, you know, she, she was able to tell me that um, a lot of the things that he told me were, were, were frankly just just complete lies. Right, right. Mostly just to make himself sound like a better person, like a, a more paying job, a better job that he used to have that he never really had, things like that. A lot of it was like that, you know, uh, you know, things that make him, yes, um, seem more more successful, um, have more money. Uh and then some more things that, to be honest, I'm not sure why someone would lie about. Right. right. Um, it's just kind of who he was, it seems like. Yeah. You know, there are some things that I'm just, I'm not, I'm not sure why. And then again, like, just like the, um, um, it's, some of it seems like details and not, not even a, not even, you know, a, a quote unquote, a, a big deal, but, um, um, they were at this, um, you know, for example, there was one story that he told me about how him and his ex, um, were, in, uh, you know, crucial, um, to building, um, this large art project and how, you know, they had worked so hard on it. Now he had donated a lot of money to see this project, uh, come to fruition. And it, it was, you know, I, I, he told the story a few times with me and other friends and, I thought nothing of it. And I just mentioned it offhand to her and she thought it was really funny because they had never done that. You know, they, they, 
um, they were barely involved in that at, at, at all. Wow. And so it, it ranged from like very big things to just, just very, very small things. Um, yeah. But small things that um, were made a very big thing. And if you think about it, when you get to know someone, what else do you have to go by a lot of times yeah. than by what they, what they say, say for sure. I mean, the other, the other <laughs> oh, word that, the other word that comes to my mind is just insecure. Like how insecure must somebody be to have to lie so much to make themselves sound like a better person than what they really are? I think that is at the heart of it. Um, and that term, you know, hurt people, hurt people comes to mind. Yes. Um, yes. It, yeah. Whether or not he had struggled with abuse as a child, for example, or in other relationships in his beginning, things like that. Exactly, exactly. Things like that. Um, You know, I have friends that jokingly ask me like, oh, you know, do you wish that? Um, his career would fall apart or X, Y, Z would happen. And answer, honestly, no, I don't wish that at all because, you know, the, clearly he's, there's already a lot going on in, you know, in, in his world. And I don't even know, you know, what it is to, to be honest. Um, at this point, I, I can't, everything that he's told me has come out to, to have been a lie. And so I, I, I don't know his history really, um, at all, but I don't wish that his life takes a turn for the worse because I do feel confident that if that happens, he'll only inflict more pain on other people. Right. Right. Uh, right. And you are at a point where you're secure enough that if he came running back to you, you think you'd be able to put your foot down and be like, no, uh, uh-uh. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, I mean, that, yeah, that, that, good, that that's good. already, that's already happened. And yeah. it actually, um, no, yeah, that, 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 that already happened. Um, and I knew it would happen. Uh, by that point, um, I talked to enough people and recognized that there was always there's a pattern of these right. people coming back. Usually, yeah. when their next another pattern, it seems, is that there's always another person lined up. And to your point of insecurity, um, it, it does feel like these people are perhaps too insecure to be by themselves for a long right. period of time or any period right. of time. So there's always an overlap. And when, you know, one relationship goes south, uh, I feel like there's always another person lined up or they try to go back to someone. And this is where, you know, that empathy, um, being an empathetic and passionate person can really hurt you. Because if you are still in a place where you believe they can change, it could be that you start the cycle again. Right. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Well, I, I'm really thankful that you were able to get out of that relationship. It's so so good to hear how much healing you've been able to do. And I'd love to get into some more of that now. So you did mention that you had a therapist. You had a lot of friends that, that were a good support for you and your family, which is awesome because some people, you know, don't have family to, to rely on. But eventually, what was it that eventually led you to a support group? Because I know that was a part of your own healing process as well. Yeah, you know, at first it was just connecting with these other women who had been in the, who had also been in a relationship with him. Um, And of course, that was, you know, very specific. Uh, But then after talking to them, I started opening up more to some good friends of mine. And, you know, it, it was it was very shocking to me, actually, the number of friends I had who had been through something uh, similar, actually, not wow. so extreme, many yeah. of them, um, you know, some of them only a mild interaction, or a very short interaction, um, but they walked away feeling the same way I felt. Um, but one or well, two, and, one and, or two friends. And that, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but like, 
you've talked about a bit the the shame that goes along with it, right? Which makes it not very surprising that they had dealt with this yet they weren't willing to open up and share. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and yeah, because these were friends I've had for a long time and I had never heard this part of their story. Right. And I talked to other friends who didn't have a personal experience, but who told me, you know, for example, that um, they had a friend that seemed like they went through something very similar to me and they had to, you know, fly to LA to help her move out, you know, of, of the apartment and get her back on her feet. And all of a sudden, I, you know, I, I started hearing either direct stories or indirect stories of, of similar experiences. And it was a world that I had, I just, I was, I was not privy to before. I had no idea that these relationships were happening. I, I really thought that I was the only one um, for a very long time. Um, or, or, or maybe, you know, you read, you can read articles about celebrities being in, in similar relationships, but of course you never think that a good friend of yours, you know, could be going through something similar. Right. Right. And so you started connecting with, with friends and indirectly friends of friends and hearing more stories. And again, what was it that, that finally got you to think like, I'm going to find a, a support group. There must be more women who, or people uh, who talk about these and have the, the same kind of issues and experiences. Yeah. Um, you know, after talking to friends, it, it was really helpful, so helpful. Um, but to be honest, I still felt a level of shame and uh, uncomfortableness because they were people directly in my life. Right. And um, there were still some details that I, I wasn't ready to, you know, to, to, to talk about. And so I thought that if I could find people who had been through a similar experience, but who weren't a friend, who weren't directly in my life, that I could open up even more. And so that led me to start looking for support groups. But this was during the pandemic and, you know, it was still shelter in place um, in many cities. And I, the the nonprofits that held groups for these uh, mostly weren't holding them anymore. So I couldn't really find much was what, what happened. Um, I was able to find a few meetup groups. Okay. Um, and then I was able to find quite a lot of Facebook groups and Reddit, um, Reddit groups. But the Facebook and Reddit groups, you know, that's all just typing and, and chats. It wasn't uh, live conversations. And at the end of the day, I, I actually just ended up posting my own <laughs> because I, I couldn't find um, enough people to talk to. Right. Wow. Cool. So, and how did you host your own? Did you do, was that through like a Facebook live the first time you did that? So I, I put up a link for an event um, um, on this company called Luma, which is kind of like Eventbrite. Um, you know, I use Zoom and I sent this link to a meetup uh meetup organizer, uh, who also was a coach for people who had experienced, you know, relationships with, with narcissists and she was hosting some groups, but not many. So I sent her my link and asked if she might share it with her group in case people wanted to talk more. So she shared it with her group and I had 80 signups in the next two days. Oh my goodness. So that, <laughs> yeah, it was a huge aha moment for me because I, I, I expected maybe a few people to sign up, you know, I, and these people had no idea who I was. They had no idea what my story was or my background. 
all they saw was that someone had saved a time to talk about something that was deeply important to them. And they were willing to join, you know, a stranger's uh, Zoom link to talk about it. So, you know, that was the moment that really led me to think about Sharewell as, as it's about thinking about Sharewell and building this into, into a company. Right. And Sharewell is the, the company that you founded. And so, so tell us more about Sharewell. Yeah, so Sherwell was my answer to the fact that I just had a really hard time finding virtual support groups. And again, you know, the best I could find were really just Zoom links and you would enter and you didn't know how many people would be in the room. You sometimes didn't even know if that session would still be held. And I was just surprised that in this day and age, there wasn't an easier way to connect with someone who had been through a similar life experience as you. Um, so Sharewell was, we, we started it as, as a way for people to do exactly that, to go, you know, sign on to an easy website and be able to join a peer support group. Or if you couldn't find one that had, that was about the experience that you were having, you could create your own group. Wow. That is really cool. And so that is, that's up and running. It started, uh, did it start October of last year, I think? Is that right? Exactly. Yes. We're pretty much um, just a, a year in from when we launched live. Yeah, that is fantastic. And so I love the fact that you said, so there are groups like, and, and you call them wells, correct? Which is like one topic, a well for people who have experienced trauma, for example. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yes. We have about 10 main wells okay. um, for major topics. Such as? Such as depression, anxiety, emotional abuse, trauma. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then so about 10 different topics or wells where people can join. And then you mentioned that people could create their own if they have an experience that isn't identified on ShareWell. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we were a marketplace. And so it's important for us that people can both find groups and also create groups. We have two wells, one called general mental health and another called other support topics um, that are the place to, you know, create sessions around topics. If you, if that aren't one of our major wells and the way that we uh, create additional wells is we see when a topic takes off, um, then we create a separate well for it. Trauma, for example, was was like that. Um, there started we, there's a big community on Sharewell now that have you know ex- experienced some sort of trauma in their lives, and there were so many sessions being hosted on that topic that we made it into its own its own well. Okay, wow, that is so cool. So, did you have any kind of tech background, or did you partner with somebody? Because there's a huge technology piece here, right? The whole entire website, creating these wells. I know it's a membership. People could be members. They don't have to be members. So I'm wondering about your tech experience, and then maybe you can share the difference about being a member versus a non-member. Sure. Yeah. Um, I myself don't have an engineering background, but I did used to be um, a venture capitalist and invest in startups. Um, so I do have a background in helping launch companies like like the type of company that, that Sherelle is. But we do have an engineer 
Um, and, you know, we have a small team that has helped me build ShareWell. The difference of being a member, so we have two tiers of memberships. One is called a basic membership and the other is called an unlimited membership. A basic membership on ShareWell means that you can use the platform completely for free, but you can only attend one peer support session each month. And then the unlimited membership, which right now is $10 a month, gives you access to unlimited peer support sessions every month. Okay, awesome. And how much did you say that was? $10 a month. Okay, awesome, which is a fraction of the cost of going to a therapist and such. That's Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, we wanted to find a a price point that was – truly affordable for, uh, for, you know, many people. Um, and also, you know, the average price of talk therapy is a hundred to $150 for an hour, depending on where you are in the country without insurance. And so we wanted to be able to offer unlimited peer support sessions for basically the same price as one talk therapy session. Right. Right. That's fantastic. And what would you say is the, you know, you talked a little bit about the support groups themselves, but in what way are you able to speak to, like, how does one benefit from a support group? So, for example, if somebody's listening to this show and they've never been to a support group, what would you say about them and why do you find them to be so beneficial? And again, I I will share my side, too, as well, because I'm a huge believer in them. But I'm curious from your perspective, what was the what what was it about support groups that you were like, this is what I've got to do. I've got to create this for folks. Yeah. Uh, so great question. Support groups really offer a unique way to heal and connect that I believe that other things like therapy or coaching um, do not offer. Uh, and now, personally, I'm, I'm a big, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in talk therapy. Actually, I've been, I have a therapist, I've been speaking to her for many years, but, uh, sometimes what you want is just to feel understood by someone else to feel like someone really gets you. And of course, if someone has been through something similar, that's a level of connection that you can't, you can't fabricate. Uh, so support groups are really wonderful, um, for, you know, to feel exactly that, to feel supported, to feel understood, to learn from others, to learn from peers, um, and to be in a space, safe space where there's no hierarchy. You know, no one is there to tell you what to do, but everyone is there to listen to you, to validate you, and to really just hold space and make it okay for you to, sh- to share about, you know, talk about whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think a couple of pieces I would add. I, I love that. A- and I think um, you've talked quite a bit about the shame involved with it, right? And for me, like, shame went out the door. Like, these are, I walked into a support group with men with who struggled with depression and anxiety, and immediately I could share openly without feeling that shame, just knowing that they've been there, whether they were not, whether they were going through it or not at the time. I was able to share with them without any kind of shame and just an instant connection. And I think you mentioned that, like they've been there, they understand me and a therapist can be awesome 
I agree. I still see a therapist and they are phenomenal. I'm also one who believes in kind of a multi-pronged approach to recovery in from whatever it may be you're recovering from, right? So, at, you know, don't give up on therapy, but also add a support group, you know, make sure you add good nutrition, add a social outlet, add a hobby, you know, so I think it can just be a huge, huge piece of one's recovery. And I'll tell you, all the men who I see at the, the men's support groups that I go to, most of them have said this organization, it's called Face It here in, in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and they say Face It saved my life. And I'm sure the same goes for, for what you're doing with ShareWell. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know it's it's we've been live for uh, just about a year, but we were in beta for five months before, and so we've had uh, members who've been with us for almost a year and a half who are still attending multiple groups, multiple sessions every week, and many of them have said exactly that that they you know they say that before Sharewell they've they were never able to talk, they never felt like they were understood by their fan friends or family. Um, and they come back week after week because this is their community. Now, you know, this is where they don't feel shame. This is where they feel understood. Um, and that feeling of being safe and being, having peers. Um, you know, I think that's, that, that's, that's a word that, that is not often used in everyday language. Um, but peers are different than they, they're different than friends, uh, but they can be just as important. Um, but absolutely, you know, I think that the, the fact that support groups have, have helped me so much, um, is in many ways, you know, it's, 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 it's very rewarding to see that reflected in the members of Sharewell today. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, who leads the groups? Are these peers themselves that lead and do they apply through ShareWell to lead a group? And I'm curious if there's any kind of um, training that they go through with you or how that all works. Yeah. So, you know, what makes us, I think, um, really different from any of the other uh, places um, that also offer peer support is that we really want we really want to make it possible for anyone to be able to host a support group. We do offer onboarding and training and we're actually going to launch um, our own training program uh, later this year uh, for people who you know want additional hours of of, um, of training before they host a group but we don't we won't require it. So on sharewell anyone can create a group and host a session after they've attended one session on our website. The reason that we're able to do this is, as you had mentioned before, there's a large technology component of the company. So we've built our own video platform. We have our own community platform. Um, we've built, and with that, we've built a lot of safety uh, guardrails to help people have safe conversations. I'll give you one example. Um, we have what we call the rule of three. So every virtual session is a video session, um, but it doesn't start until at least the host has entered the session and two participants. You will never have a one-on-one -on -one 
live interaction on ShareWell. Everything is a group dynamic. And that was done very deliberately. You know, that really helps um, lower the cases, limit the cases of abuse. And if, you know, if anything does happen, of course, there's a third party there um, to help figure out, you know, exactly what happened. Um, we also have blocking features, reporting features. So we have a large number of safety features built into the platform itself um, so that we can allow you know, everyday people who don't have uh, a mental health background to come and feel comfortable hosting a group. Right. Yeah, I saw that on the website too, and I thought that was really cool. That So if I'm in a group and I feel like somebody is being incredibly disrespectful to me or, and whatnot, I can personally block that person so that the two of us never show up in a group together again, correct? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's an awesome feature. What about, and this, uh, this might be, well, I'm, I'm just curious, you know, particularly when it comes to issues of depression and trauma and so forth, are the, you mentioned guardrails. Are, is there, what type of support might there be if somebody leading a group feels like, whoa, this person actually might be suicidal or I'm concerned about them? Are, is there something that the, the leader then could do or should do in order to kind of flag that person as possibly needing additional support? Yes, absolutely. Um, and that is part of our, our onboarding and training um, to ask hosts to flag uh, members uh, who they feel like need additional support, especially if there's talk of any active suicidal intentions. Okay. Um, and then we do follow up with those members to offer additional resources. You know, it's, it's important to us too, that the hosts feel comfortable hosting, right. um, and that they are able to get additional support from us. If they ever encounter a situation where they, they don't feel like, you yeah. know, they have the equipment to, to follow through on a conversation. Oh, that's awesome. That is really cool. So, so I hear you saying, like, if I was leading a group and I felt really worried that somebody was talking about suicide and or something of that nature, and I was really concerned about them, I could, in a, in a way, through the technology, flag them. You or somebody in your organization would be notified, and they would then reach out to that person and make sure they're aware of supports that they could reach out to. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's fantastic because I think a lot of people who are leading a group may be completely oblivious to that, right? Like, oh, yeah, I've dealt with depression. I'd love to help people. Let me lead a group. I'd love to do that. And then all of a sudden they have this situation in front of them and they're like, whoa, what do I do now? Um, so it's really cool that you you took into account all of those pieces. Wow. So anything else that you want to share about ShareWell? I think it just seems like such a, an awesome platform. I love the fact that people, folks can join for free. They can utilize it monthly for free. And if they're benefiting, you know, pay that $10 fee and, and get a unlimited access. Just curious if there's anything else you'd like to share about the success of ShareWell that you've seen. Yeah. Um, you know, it's for us, like you mentioned earlier, I, I also very much believe that there needs to be more layers of mental health support available. And with everything that's happening in, in the world and all the statistics that, you know, depression, anxiety have increased by 25% in the U.S. and, you know, globally, ugh, the, the rate of isolation increasing and all that, 
we really hope that we can offer a resource that is accessible to everyone and that can help kind of chip away at that gap in mental health care that we're seeing not just in the U.S., uh, but everywhere in the world. Um, I will share that, you know, we've been around for just a year, but we do, you know, we survey and poll our members after each session. And it's been incredible to see, but it's 90% of our members reports that they feel happier after a sharewell session. Um, and that is, you know, that's really important to us that these, these sessions do actively help people. You know, of course, it's, it's, it seems very simple, right? You're entering the session just to talk about what's going on, to support other people. But our members do report that immediately afterwards, they, 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 get, they feel a boost of, of happiness. That's awesome. 90%, did you say? 90%. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. So I know that one piece that just slipped my mind that I hadn't shared is the website itself. Uh, folks can get there just by going to sharewellnow.com, correct? Yes, sharewellnow.com. Okay, awesome. Sharewellnow.com. And I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Well, wow, that is amazing. It's a, amazing stuff you're doing. I can't imagine how many people you're helping. And actually, that's another question I have for you. Do you have numbers about how many different folks have been have joined your groups? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I don't have that number off the top of my head, but we have had, you know, we have thousands. Um, I, I'm a guy, so we might actually even be nearing five digits at this wow. point, um, of people who have joined sessions. Yeah. yeah. That is so cool. That is awesome. The, uh, the last question I have for you, CC, and this is how I end every show. So I always ask, you know, if somebody is out there listening to this show and they're struggling right now, maybe they find themselves in an abusive relationship or dealing with some depression or panic attacks, uh, anxiety, what would be your biggest piece of advice? And I want to preface it by saying, I'm sure, and I would agree, they should check out sharewellnow.com. But in addition to that and joining a support group um, or sharewell support group, what, what other piece of advice would you give them? I would let them know that, first of all, they will get through this. You know, sometimes it feels like this is the state of things and it will forever be the state of things, but it will not. It, w- it definitely will not. Things will improve. And then the other thing I would say is that they are not alone, that what they're feeling is probably very normal for what they're going through. I mean, life can be just extremely hard, even if you know, you're not in, emotionally, in an emotionally abusive relationship or someone is actively gaslighting you. Um, just just going through life can be really, really hard. And I think it's very natural to feel anxious or depressed at times. Um, so there's, there's nothing wrong with, with, with what's going on. Um, and they're, they're not alone in this. Um, if other people feel like they're living perfectly normal and happy lives, um, I can share with you that, you know, that's how I would probably think about everyone on Sharewell, but you talk to them and you realize that everyone is going through a challenge of their own. So they are not alone and things will get better. Yeah, that's awesome. I know you mentioned yourself feeling like I'm the only one who's ever gone through this. I'm sure of it. And then you realize, wow, it's not true. And I hear that from so many men, too, who have been dealing with depression. They, they just assume 
and it's just kind of the state of mind you're in like this is just me and it's not so great piece of pieces of advice Cece, I want to thank you for what you're putting out into the world and in Sharewell that is really cool and incredible thing. I hope you're proud of yourself. It's got to feel so rewarding. And I also want to thank you for taking time to be on the Depression Files. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This, this it was really it was really great to speak with you today. All right. Well, make sure you stay healthy. You as well. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Depression Files. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. This is one small way that would help me out greatly. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the U.S., you can call, text, or chat 988 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can visit suicide.org slash suicide dash hotlines for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you would like to connect directly with me or have a topic to suggest, please reach out to me on Twitter at allevin18 or email me at thedepressionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.